somebody on Facebook put it down. All right, we're glad this morning to have Brother Michael Prater with us. Uh, he's been here before, and I haven't asked him to preach, and so I asked him if he would come and preach today. And uh, he is pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in Secreto, West Virginia. And uh, so, Brother Michael, if you would come and preach to us. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you, my brother. I'm going to try to get some water here. It's good to be with you all this morning. And uh, I, some of you all look at me already today like you're trying to figure out who I am. And uh, yes, I am Joseph's dad. And some of you all have had the pleasure of knowing that already. And uh, I will tell you that I send greetings to you from Grace Missionary Baptist Church and Cerrito Canova. I, uh, I called them this morning. I said, uh, so I want you to know they asked me to preach, and I said that wasn't in the initial plan. I said, but I asked that you all would keep me in prayer, and uh, they were very glad to uh, say yes. We look forward to you preaching as well. And here's the ironic part. My uh, youngest brother, Dennis, was teaching the Sunday school hour this morning for the adults, and my brother Greg, who is a deacon of the church, is actually preaching for the church in the morning service. So I haven't heard Greg's sermon. I'm going to let him know that I'll listen to it and critique it later. Not really. Uh, they do a fine job, and they have a great love of the Lord. And uh, just so that you know, Cerrito went without a pastor for about a year. And I did not candidate. I, it wasn't my intention of candidating to that church. And uh, I filled in for them one Sunday, and, and then they came back and they said, Would you consider being a candidate for the church. And I said, all right, I will. And I preached one more time. And as the Lord would see fit, he asked me to, uh, they asked me if I would be their pastor. After I said, well, let's pray and fast about it and let's see what the Lord would have. And that's been the answer. And uh, so I've been here, been there since uh, September, the first Sunday in September, or in first Sunday in September, I began uh, preaching. I do travel backwards and forwards. Uh, quite a bit so that I can continue to uh, be a part of the Florida uh, help that my son needs. And I pass by this way all the time. Now I have a good reason to stop over on occasion because I get to uh, spend the night with uh, Joe and Emily and the kids, and I think that's going to be wonderful. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of James, chapter 4. And uh, as a prelude before we open up the Scripture and read it, I want to say this to you. How many of you have ever read the book In His Steps. Anyone ever read that book? In His Step was a book that uh, was written by a man of Charles, by the name of Charles M. Sheldon. And if you go up I-77 beyond uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and as you get ready to crest that big hill, you'll see the, a sign on the side of the road that says Charles M. Sheldon Highway. And most people haven't got a clue who Charles M. Sheldon was. Well, in that book, In His Steps, it was, a, it was a book that he said nobody will like and never copyrighted it. He never made a penny on that book. And the reality is, is that it was a simple process that he would ask this question, what would Jesus do? Now, how many of you have ever seen those what, or WWJD bracelets? That came out of that book, and that book was written in the 1850s. Now, that give you a little bit of an idea of where we're at, or I said 1850s, it was actually a little bit later than that. 
And the reality is, is that Charles M. Sheldon wanted people to ask this question, what is it that Jesus wants from me? Well, that kind of led me to uh, this title, which is called A New Life. And it begins in James chapter 4. Out of respect of God's word, if you will, I'd like for you to stand to your feet as we read together the entire chapter. And uh, may the Lord bless as we read it together. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust, that the war of your numbers or members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that, you're, that you may consume uh, it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Be not, or uh, ye hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But he that judges the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest of another? Go ye now that you that say today is uh, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life it is even a vapor and appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away for that you ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that but now ye rejoice in your boastings all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let us pray. Father, again, we want to thank you for the opportunity to stand. And Lord, forgive me for the errors that uh, I committed while reading your word, for we know that your word is just and holy. And Lord, I pray that there would be a blessing in the message as we all go back and reread it. As we go back and think upon these things, I pray, Father, that you will give us that which we need. Help us, dear Father, therefore, to be faithful. Help us, dear Father, to watch over the things that you have given us to do so and bless this church. Lord, I know that uh, you use me as you see fit. I know, Father, that I can do nothing without you, and I pray for thy power and thy presence as this message goes forward. So lead us and bless and direct now, for it's in Christ we pray, and amen. You may be seated. Now, here's the thing. As we begin to look at God's Word today, I want to point out to you that I have no desire to be a great orator in front of everyone here today, but I think every pastor and every preacher has one great desire on their heart, and that is that the person that's delivering the message decreases and the message of Christ increases. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul, how that he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I follow Christ. 
So the reality is, is that if we want to have this example that is alive in us, it has to be one to where we're taking the focus off ourselves and always focusing upon the Lord. Now, I will tell you what caused me to begin to study this, and I want you to know that I'm on a new journey. And I think that anyone who ever spends time around God's Word begins to grab this new journey. And it's like this. that Many times you'll hear preachers that they'll say, how many of you all want to have a closer walk with Jesus? And I guarantee you if I ask that question, almost every one of us would raise our hands. But if I was to say, how many of us are ready to sacrifice in order to have that closer walk with Jesus, I wonder how many hands would go up. You see, the reality of what we read in James chapter 4 is one that the more I read it, the more that I find a greater challenge not only for my life, but a challenge that says I'm really not equipped and I'm not ready to give my all in all for the Lord. Now let me say it again. I look at my life and I realize that there are things in my life that says I'm not ready to give my all and all for the Lord. And yet, when we talk about the dedication to follow the Lord, even in the Scripture, we find that people had to give their all and all. Do you realize Moses? Well, let's go all the way back to the time of the book of Exodus. Moses was a great prince in the land of Egypt. If you ever read Josephus, he said that Moses was a military leader and literally looked upon as being the next Pharaoh that was going to come in line. And yet God got a hold of Moses and said, that's not the plan I got for you. And Moses thought that if he literally stood up and told the children of Israel, I'm going to be your deliverer. He knew he was going to be their deliverer. He knew he was going to be it. But he could not be their deliverer as long as he was already in the presence of what we would call Pharaoh. So God had to bring him down a notch, a lot of notches. And he went from being a Pharaoh or the next in line for the Pharaoh to a humble shepherd on the backside of the desert. And, you know, i got news for you, folks. The more that we study the Word of God, the more that we have to understand God's got to bring us down to a place where we can actually be used of Him. And it was 40 years on the backside of the desert that Moses learned how to take care of people by observing how to take care of sheep. Now, I've never taken care of sheep. But the one thing I have, and I remember that Brother Harry Bomber years ago uh, raised sheep, and he knew them by name. And he'd say, Brother Prater, go out there and call those sheep. He said, there's Lammy Pie over there, and there's that one over there. And I'd call them by name. They would ignore me. But Harry could call them by name, and they would go, bah, bah. And they would all change their name. As he would call them by name, they would repeat. And I said, that's pretty strange. He goes, oh, no, a stranger they will not listen to. He said, but I'm going to tell you something else about sheep. If they get out of the pen and I call them, they're going to ignore me. He said, sheep don't want to be brought back in to the fold. They want to run free and they want to do their own thing. And I thought, man, alive. No wonder the Bible always shows us as a comparison to sheep because we want to do our own thing. We are living in a time where people say, well, I know what God says, but I want to do it my way. I was talking to someone the other day, and their statement to me was this. Well, I found a church that will accept me as I am. Well, my, here's the thing. Is it a church that will accept you along God's premises? 
You know, folks, we should never want to be a part of a church that will accept you for your sin and for all the misgivings. But it should always be a church that will be following after the Lord. I want to show you something that also was a part of my study. Hold your place here and let's go back to the uh, book of Joshua. And again, this was part of my study that I got very involved with. In Joshua chapter 1, and how many times have we preached from the book of Joshua? And we always talk about this, this great first chapter in which we want to see an encouragement that comes over Joshua. We find that the Lord tells him three times, be strong and of a good courage. Later on, we also hear the, the congregation say, be strong and of a good courage. But I'm going to show something to you that I very much doubt most of us have never seen. In Joshua chapter 1, let's go down to verse 8, and notice what it says. This book of the law, stop right there. If that's not underlined in your Bible, let me encourage you to underline it. This book of the law. Do you realize that this is the first time that the law of Moses is in the hands of the people? All the way to this point. Yeah, Joshua was there while it was being written. But Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy... What we also know is the Pentateuch or the Torah. And this is the first time it's been handed over to a congregation and saying, this is what you've got to do to obey it. Now, I want you to take this book and I want you to obey it. So God gives this message to the Jews, to these Israelites that are getting ready to go in the promised land. And notice what he says to Joshua. Take this book. Now, you know, here's the thing that's funny. We'll listen to every message under the sun by evangelists. I, I love, Ale, uh, uh, I'll say his name wrong, I'm sure I will, Alistair Beggs. I love listening to him. He's got that lovely Scottish voice, you know, as he preaches the Word of God. And as he preaches, you just can't, in, can't turn away from him. And he is very sound. But I thought, am I listening to the man or am I listening to the message? You know, you tell people, you, you really want to see a change in your life, read the Bible through this year. Oh, really? I did that last year. We should do it every year. Because the Word of God is the only thing that will have place. And you want to find something that will be beneficial to you? Read the Word of God. So here we find this. Mind you, it's only five books. But the Lord said, take this book, the book of the law, and abide by it. Follow it. And, you know, the thing that I find that's interesting, this was not told to the congregation. It was told to one man. And that's where I want to stop. For one moment, I want you to think about this. No one can make you follow the Lord. And all the time as a preacher, I could stand up here and I can preach and I can conjure, I can encourage, but I cannot make you follow the Lord. The only way that that's going to occur is when you start putting aside all the things that are about you and saying, Lord, show me what I'm missing. I can be strong. I tell you what, ask Joseph. Joe and I, when we were much, a little bit younger, one day Joe came in and he said, Dad, I want to find something that we can do together. I said, well, okay, you find it, we'll do it. Next day he came in and said, Dad, I found something for us to do together. I said, what's that? He goes, karate. I looked at him and I said, can't you find something else? I could just see me being thrown all over the mat, my son going, I love you, Dad, as I'm picking myself up off the heap. And he goes, Dad, I know if you do it one time, you'll love it. And he was right. 
And so together we did karate together. He was actually ahead of me by a few weeks, and we got our black belts together, and then I went ahead of him, second-degree black belt, which he's never forgiven me. And the reality is is that we did something that took dedication, took responsibility for us to be able to get our black belt in, in degree. And sometimes we would have to encourage each other. Sometimes we would have to forgive each other. We had one move one time where you just come up underneath a person's jaw, and I, I came up a little bit more frisky, and I slammed his jaw to his head. Only time he's ever been quiet. And you know, the reality is, is that he just looked at me and he went, which meant, leave me alone, I'll be okay. Of course, he got me back a little bit later, but once again, I just want to point out to you that sometimes we have to really dedicate ourselves. I could be strong and of a good courage and say, man, I'm following the Lord, but have nothing to do with it. But look what the rest of this verse says. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You know what really hurts hurts us so much as a people? We want to say the book of God's word, but we use every example under the sun but his word. Do you realize that every answer we should give ought to be from God's Word? Every example we have should be from God's Word. You want to correct somebody? Use God's Word. But we are so quick to say, oh, what about this? What about that? What about the other? The fact of the matter is, God's Word is what needs to be powerful. Look what else it says. But thou shalt meditate upon it, or therein, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written. Now let me ask you, do we know what God wants from us day by day? If we are going to know what God wants for us, that means I've got to meditate upon his word day by day. You take a young person, a young Christian, and the first time that they come to you, it's like that they are just so excited. I, I know the Lord. He's mine. Now what do I do next? And if I really have a desire for the betterment of that young person, I will sit down with them and I'll begin to teach them. Let's meditate upon God's Word. Well, what chapter shall I read? No, let's meditate upon one verse. In the beginning was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's go ahead and let's meditate upon that. Let this sink in. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Meditate upon that. If we meditate upon one verse and it really sinks into our life, it's going to make a difference. Joshua was told, you've already seen all of these things that happened. You've already been through the wilderness. You've already seen the challenges of the wilderness. Now take this book and follow after it. But Lord, what if they don't want to follow? You follow it. Did you hear me? What if no one else wants to follow? You follow it. Now, that doesn't make you an instrument to walk around and judge everybody else. The only person you should be judging is this person right here. Lord, what is it that you want me to see? But look what else it says therein. Meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. You know the thing I've often heard? is that preachers will say there's nowhere in prosperity gospel in God's Word. 
Now, before everybody picks up stones and wants to cast them at me, God's prosperity is not the world's prosperity. The prosperity that, you know, I look at the congregation at Cerrito, and we don't have that many people. We've got more people here than we have at Cerrito. And the thing is, is that they come faithfully. And I told them, I said, if God can take 12 men and turn Jerusalem upside down, why can't we turn Cerrito Canova upside down for the Lord? Why can't we turn lions upside down for the Lord out of this church? And do you know that there's people out there that we might say, oh, they're a hopeless cause. They're a hopeless cause. The reality is, go tell them of Christ. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Do you know that the Apostle Paul at least four times in the book of Acts gave his testimony? And think about this. Every time the Apostle gave his testimony, people were listening. Guys, let me tell you, there's nothing more joyful than to watch the Lord work upon young people in a powerful way. We were, we were at a youth camp, one of the last camps I had at California. And I remember that I went around and I asked the, the, the folks, I said, would you be so kind just to give your testimony how the Lord saved you? And the young people were sitting there, and they, you know how most young people are. They, they sit in their chair, and really they're sitting with their back. They're not sitting with their behind. And they were kind of slammed back, and they were all doing like this, and they were not paying attention. And then I said, listen, I want to tell you the testimony. And one young man got up, and he said, I want to tell you how the Lord saved me. And then someone else gave their testimony, and someone else gave their testimony. And the next thing I know, these young people are starting to cry, and they're coming to the front, and they're saying, Brother Prater, will you talk to me? Because I want to know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And as soon as I heard that message, I said, well, come on, let's take our Bible, let's go find out. And then someone else said, Brother Pray, there's two more waiting on you. There's two more here who wants to talk to you. No, I never led not one of them in a sinner's prayer. But I showed them what the Word of God says. And you know, that night, 14 young people were saved. Well, you must have used some Armenian tactic. I didn't have to. The Holy Spirit got a hold of everyone. And it was amazing to see what God could do. Do you want that? If you want to see it, it begins right now. Are you willing to sacrifice what's so important in your life to become what God wants? Someone asked me this question. They said, what is the biggest hindrance in this world today? It's not Satan. It's us. I want to show this to you. Go with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And in Second Chronicles chapter 7, I know you know this verse. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we hear this all the time, especially on the day of prayer. But look what it says all the way down to verse 14. Everybody there? I want to make sure that everybody's there. If you've got your Bibles, turn those pages over to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, And look what it says. If my people, who is that speaking to? The redeemed. It's speaking to Mike Prater. And Mike Prater is, you know, insert your name there. If Mike Prater, which is called by my name. Boy, that's a humble verse, isn't it? Especially if you make it personal. This is at the dedication of Solomon's temple. This great big scaffold that's in front of the temple. And the Lord now is answering Solomon. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. You know why our prayers are going unanswered? What is the attitude of God's people? 
What's the attitude of God's people? We're going to get into this humility. What does it mean to be humble? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and look what else it says, and seek my face. You know what, folks? Praying is not just bowing our heads and that's the end of it. I need to seek the presence of the Lord. When was the last time you ever went into your prayer closet or in your private spot and you were in such engulfed in prayer that you really felt the presence of the Lord in that location? If you've never experienced it, you've never really enjoyed prayer time. When was the last time you were in church services and you enjoyed church services so much you said, I, I don't want it to end? That's the Holy Spirit moving. When was the music so sweet to you that it rolled off your lips and go, oh, sing another song, sing another song? When we can't do that, we'll, we'll lose the order of things. When we seek the Lord, things will change. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's the next one, and turn from their wicked ways. You know what that means? Repentance. That's real repentance. And Lord, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I know that I have sin in my life. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Begin revival in me. That's where that begins. And if I really have that, then I understand this. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. How many of you are upset with the condition of America? Then it's up to you. It begins with us. How many of you want to see great revival? Then it begins with us. It begins with you. It begins with me. If my people which will humble themselves and pray... If we truly seek our faith, seek the face of the Lord our God, if we bow our heads and we say, Lord, help us to see thy presence. You know, if you want to see this world turned upside down, it begins with the praying. You say, well, we're living in the last times. You don't know that. I believe it, but you don't know it. And what's to say that we can't see victory ahead of time? Wouldn't it be great if revival broke out? I've been in I've been in Salinas, California, or not Salinas, California, uh, Salina in uh, Kentucky, and they invited this old missionary down. He said, "Now, folks," he said, "I got news for you. I, I'm not much of a preacher," and he said, "If you expected revival to come with me," he said, "You probably expected too much." And that night he pre he preached the word of God. He said, "Lord, I leave it with you." Four people were saved. They came back the next night, more were saved. Came back the next night, more were saved. And news got out through the community. Have you heard what's going on at Selena? In, in the little town of Selena, outside of Nancy, close to Somerset, Kentucky. And souls were being saved. You want to see this church being an impact? Let souls start getting saved. And I guarantee you, people outside are going to hear it. And they're going to go, what's, what's going on? Well, we thought that little church over there didn't care about souls. And before you know it, the people will come in because they're curious. 
Do you know what happened at Jerusalem? There were curious seekers. How is it these men are speaking in objectivity tongues and we understand what they're saying? They must be drunk on new wine. Can you imagine the excitement of this church being such people saying, bunch of drunkards? <laughs> Doesn't the Bible say, be not drunk wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit? That was the example of what it was like to be filled with the Spirit. And before you know it, the Lord allowed that church to be blessed. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church. That's what I want. Give me one. Wait a minute, I want two. No, I think I'll take three. I think I'll take ten. I think I'll take a hundred. You see... The joy of the Lord has eaten me up means it goes beyond the one, and I want more. And, Lord, you show me how to be sacrificial, and I'll trust you. So let's go back to, in the time we have left, let's go back and let's look at James chapter 4 and see what it says. You've got to remember this, folks. James was the pastor at the church of Jerusalem. How many of you all knew that? This is James the less. He was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15 where it says that James stood up and he gave his comments on what should be done for the churches that were in Asia Minor, this was the same James. And one of the things that James says, and and it goes back to chapter 3, what James says is that we are at fault when we give precedence to somebody else. Can you imagine if somebody walked in of, of, of really high authority? How many of us would go, oh, we're so glad you're here. Here, why don't you sit right up here on the front row so everybody can come see you? i tell you the real objectivity is when we recognize that men are men and every man is a sinner. I'm going to tell you about a man who one time was, he went to a restaurant to eat. And nobody cared. This man was the president of the United States. And yet he had to wait his turn. And when a table came ready, then they set him and he ate. That man's name was Thomas Jefferson. Now what do we do with presidents? Oh, oh, your majesty. Oh, oh, wonderful Mr. President. Well, I wouldn't say that about the current man, but we'll leave that alone. The reality is, is that no matter who the individual is, they're not highfalutin. They still have to give an answer to God. What if it's the Queen of England? Well, congratulations. You made it. Doesn't make her any better than anybody else. This is why James says in this particular chapter of James chapter 4, he says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you. Do you know why there's wars in a church? Nobody can get along. Nobody can get along. And that is what destroys churches. When Grace and Cerrito asked me to be their pastor, I said, it's not going to be a Prater church. And I love what one of the men said. He said, don't you worry. We're not going to let it happen that way. It's the Lord's church. And the thing is, is that in verse 2, this is the order. And I want you to get this. This is a separation of the lust of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. This is what's written in the book of James. What are examples of the lust of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh? 
Ye lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye idolaters and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's the first part. And then after he says this, he brings in this one statement. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Wouldn't you love to have such a close relationship with God that when you were getting ready to do something, the Spirit said, you don't need that? No, you don't need that. How many of you have ever let a word slip out of your mouth, and as soon as that word slipped out of your mouth, you, you went, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. You know, the reality is, is that the world is watching you. I worked for a company down called Optimum RV in Florida, and I, I, I appreciated it because when I needed a job, they gave me a job, they paid me for all the hours I worked, but I hated it because it seemed like Everybody and their grandmother was using the F word every time I turned around. And I hate that word. I hate it. Of all the curse words, that one just runs right through me. And I heard this and I heard this and I heard this and I went, Lord, give me grace that I don't say it. And one of the persons came up to me and said, how do you as a preacher stay in a place like this? And I said, maybe to share his testimony come to find out that person was a Christian and pretty soon they changed their tongue and pretty soon we found another Christian and they started changing their tongue do you realize folks you make one commitment and the Lord makes the change do you want to be that person goes back to 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will heal their land. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I give the answer. Look what else we have here. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God is, he resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. I am learning what it means to be humble. I know that I have before you today, I'm preaching the Word of God, and there's a power that I pray is within this. But deep down inside, my heart is broken. It's a humbleness that says, I, I can't do this on my own. I, and you know, I can hear so many people say, well, we're really glad you preached this sermon today. I needed it. Well, don't tell me. Show me. That's what we want. Show the difference. But look what else it says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'm going to show you. Everybody with me? Listen up. If you really want to show that you love each other, if you have ought against a brother, go to him. If you have ought against a brother, one of the first examples of true humility 
It's not coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to be humble. It's coming to someone and saying, I was wrong in accusing you. I was wrong in blaming you. I was wrong in thinking that everything was fine. And it doesn't matter if the whole church does it, but it will matter to you as one person does it. They that wait on the Lord. And notice what happens. Resist the devil. The verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many times have we ever prayed, Lord, hedge about us so that Satan will not be near us? But did you realize what it says? Satan's going to come after you anyway. It doesn't mean you have to give in to him. You can resist Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. We need to say that a whole lot more. Get thee behind me, Satan. Bring this flesh under subjection that we might be able to walk closer to him. Then can we draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Folks, that's where we should be at. Help me to know your way, Lord, so I might walk before you faithfully. So let me ask you today, how many of us want a journey in which we can be closer to the Lord? If we want that closeness, it begins by saying, Lord, I trust in you. That's the journey I'm on. I don't expect anybody else to be on it. I don't expect anybody else to walk with me. Because if I walk this journey and I tell others about it, just maybe they'll want to be on that journey too. If I, come, if I turn my back on sin, maybe God can make me more the man that I ought to be. If I resist the devil, maybe I can show others what it means to walk after the things of God. That's the desire we should have in all that we do. May the Lord bless this message today. There's more I could say, but I'm going to leave the rest unto the Lord. Brother Pastor, I turn the message back over to you.